Turn to Psalm chapter 8. Another Psalm of David says, For the choir director on the Gittith. It's sort of like guitar, but Gittith instead of guitar. Who knows what a Gittith is? Raise your hand if you've ever seen a Gittith. Nobody knows. I can't tell you anything except that it is a stringed instrument, so it may as well be a guitar for all we know. <clears throat> but the point is that it's meant to be sung, right? It's musical. The Psalms are songs. And this particular psalm is all about the place of man in the universe. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because what we learn is how insignificant we are, how tiny and how puny, how little we are. We learn about creation and our place in creation, and compared to God, all of creation is nothing, and compared to the rest of creation, man is nothing, and yet God has placed man over creation, and that's an amazing thing. And so we're taught to worship God because of our place, because of how we compare to God, because of how we compare to nature, because of how he's placed us over nature. All of these things, David, the psalmist, turns into worship for the living God. Now, our tendency, our temptation is when we see our place, when we see how small we are, when we see how great creation is, to worship creation. To worship creation rather than the creator. And that is our temptation, not just the temptation of those crazy people out there, or the watching world or something like that. It's our temptation to worship what God has created rather than him, and to give thanks to him. So let's learn from David as he leads us in worshiping God. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. 
You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. God is transcendent. Transcendent is a word that is probably new to a lot of you kids. Transcendent means bigger than you. It means way, way bigger than you. It means bigger than everything. And when we encounter, when we when we try to wrap our minds around something that's transcendent, and only God is truly transcendent, when we try to understand God, our brains explode. We just can't understand it. And so, there are times that we, that we experience that same sort of feeling of awe, of amazement, of completely being unable to understand how amazing, how glorious, how large, how powerful God is. And we can see that, we can have that same kind of experience when we, when we look at what he's made. So if you look at the creation, if you look at the stars, right? David starts, you who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. What's above the heavens? You look up and you see the stars. Or today, maybe right now, you look up and you see snow falling down from the sky, right? And if you've ever walked out into the snow and just looked up, and been amazed at little frozen flakes of, of snow falling all around you, or, or looking down and seeing the, the perfect purity of the, the ground covered in snow, right? You may have experienced just a, just a little hint of the feeling of transcendence right there, or of coming face to face with something that's transcendent. Maybe you've been amazed by the stars. If you've ever, if you've ever taken a course on astronomy or read or looked at the pictures that come from the Hubble Space Telescope or from many of the, there's, there's so many amazing things that are studied by astronomers. And if you, if you take one of the pictures of the, the deep space photographs that Hubble has taken, and you look at the, the number of galaxies that are in them, and, and you remember that we're in the Milky Way galaxy, and you look up and there's so many stars that it just looks like a, just looks like a splash of milk lighting up. That, that's how many stars are in the Milky Way. And then there's, there's just billions 
of galaxies, and each galaxy is just filled with stars. The numbers absolutely blow our mind. And, and then you, you take the, the, dip, the deep space and you zoom in. And what do you see? You zoom in further, and they keep doing this more. They get better equipment, and they, they get better processes and able to see deeper and deeper into space. And you'll read a headline like, it turns out that, uh, you know, Real space or space that we can know or observable space is like 15 trillion billion times bigger than we thought it was yesterday. You know, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that you discover when, when you're, when, when, when you take something in a three dimensional plane or, you know, three dimensional space and you discover that it's actually, it goes out twice as far than it's actually way more than twice as big, because you're dealing with volume, not space. You guys know how math works like that? It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And if you ever try to look at it and try to comprehend it, you, you come to a point where you just realize these kinds of numbers are impossible to understand. These kinds of sizes, these kinds of distances are so far beyond our comprehension that we just sort of glaze over. Normally, we... We, we look at these things, we hear about these things, and we don't experience the, the feeling of the transcendent. But every once in a while, I think that it's happened probably to all of you, every once in a while, you just, you just have this aha moment. And it might not be the stars, it might just be the sun. You read about the, you read about the solar storms and the solar flares, and how you, and you see the pictures of the fire shooting out from the sun in one of these in one of these solar storms, and you see a you know a comparison of Earth to that flame shooting out, and it and it you realize it just cooked the whole Earth. It'd just be gone, just this one little storm, and or you you find out that if one of those storms happens to aim right at us, that all of the satellites are goners. There's no more GPS. That probably there's no more electrical grid because all of the wires that are stretched, you know those those wires that go run right next to our house, we got those high-tension power lines, they would melt because of the electromagnetic. It, It would just be this huge, huge creation of energy that would come in, and, and this has happened. All of the telegraph lines melted in the, in the 1800s, I think it was. It could happen again. And that's just one of the million ways that the earth could come to a sudden and, well, not end, right? That wouldn't, end, but, but boy, life would be different, wouldn't it? Or you read about the, you know, that, that half of uh, Oregon and Washington, and th- they could just like do the classic fall off into the ocean thing. You guys remember reading about that? These sorts of things, you know, you really have to bring it down to a level that we can understand it to even begin to start to come to grips with how insignificant we are. So, so, in, so. To try to do that, not because I'm trying to make you feel the, 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 
feel transcendence, okay? But just because we really have to understand how amazing creation is if we're going to respond the way that David is responding here. He, he is blown away by what God has created. So all you kids have played with cards before, right? Got a deck of cards, there's 52 cards in the deck, and you shuffle that deck up. How many times have you shuffled the deck? Have you guys ever done that? Like maybe probably not really good at shuffling, but maybe mixing them together, spreading them out on the floor and putting them back together. How many different ways are there that you could arrange those 52 cards? There's a lot of ways you could arrange those cards, aren't there? As a matter of fact, there's so many ways that you could arrange those cards that every time you shuffle it and you put those cards back together, the chances are there has never ever been a deck of cards in that order. Think about that. You don't believe me. But 52 with an exclamation point after it, that's how you do factorial, that's how you figure out the number of ways that there could be cards arranged. And you know your, you know your classic calculator that you have that has like 10 digits on it? You can do lots of high multiplication on that. If you try to compute anything above 12 factorial, it just says E for error. You can't go that high with a normal calculator. Well, 52 factorial is a lot bigger. And when you try to figure out how big that number is, and you think about how small the deck of cards is, and there's just 52 cards in it, and it's so easy for us to comprehend, and then it's so absolutely impossible for us to comprehend how many ways that those 52 cards can be arranged, that when you start trying to put it into numbers that we can understand, the story starts with, okay, let's take that many seconds. There's that many ways to arrange the deck of cards. We're going to make each one of those ways you could arrange it a second, okay? And if you, if you wanted to figure out how many seconds there were, would you start taking a step on the equator? And we're going to take a step every billion years until we've gone all the way around the equator. And we're, we're not even started down the path of this story. When you get around the earth, How many billions of years have gone by? It's like 3,000 some, or no, 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 uh, 300,000 some billion years have gone by. Then you're going to take a drop of water out of the Pacific Ocean and you're going to start again. Okay? Until you've emptied the Pacific Ocean. And once you've emptied the Pacific Ocean, you're going to take a piece of paper and you're going to set it down on the ground. And you're going to start over again until you've gone building that stack of paper to the sun. And then you're going to do that a thousand times. And you've hardly begun to touch the number of ways that the deck of cards can be arranged. 
You guys are looking at me, some of you like, I don't believe it. (laughs) So now what you need to do is you need to take... (laughs) You need to take a little chunk out of Mount Everest. And we're going to start over. This is big. Now, Now, I want you to just think about that for a second. That number that is so big that we really, I mean, you can't, let's be honest, you can't comprehend a billion years. That's how we started, right? You, we, can't, we can't think in numbers that big. And yet you can understand a deck of cards when you're three years old. This world that God has made is astounding. It's astonishing. The numbers, the, 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 the way things work is absolutely mind-boggling. And, and if you begin to study anything, you'll find things that are that incomprehensible to us. That amazing. If you guys go online and you look at animations that people have done of how uh, how DNA works. It's absolutely incredible. When you, when you go in and you see it splitting the, the, the double helix, this, this tiny little machine inside a cell, it's, it's as small as the number 52 factorial is big. And it's just as complicated, just as impossible for us to grasp. And so we don't, we don't understand creation. None of us does. If you can't even figure out how big, how many ways the number 52 cards can be arranged, if you can't even begin to comprehend that, then that's just a deck of cards and a random number. Think about studying how stars work or studying how cells work. Any, any direction you look, think about studying how trees grow, about how the weather works. More often, we just come face to face with the reality of creation, not by diving deeper and deeper and deeper into biology or deeper and deeper and deeper into astrophysics or something like this, but more often what happens is we learn some, we learn a little bit more, we we learn a little bit more, and then you, you begin to get dulled to these things because you've experienced the study of them over and over. And then one day you just walk outside and you look up and the mind-boggling number of stars, not because you're trying to think about how many it actually is, but just looking up and seeing them. And remember, you can't see most of them unless you get a telescope, right? Just looking up and seeing them makes your mind sort of go, whoa. This is incredible. 
This is amazing. You guys remember when uh, that video was going around uh, where this guy saw a rainbow and he was absolutely freaking out? Did you guys all see this video? Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, I'll have to, I'll have to uh, find it and share it with all of you later. You just do a search for double rainbow guy and you'll find it. This guy absolutely has a, essentially has a mental breakdown on camera because he's seeing a rainbow. He's that blown away. And then he's, and then it turns into a double rainbow. And it's like the end of the world has come for this guy. And you ought to have that experience seeing a rainbow. Because it is that amazing. But we just live in it, day in, day out, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then, every once in a while, you come face to face with some little, tiny, one, one little thing, like a rainbow, and you just are blown away. And in that second where you have that most extreme feeling of awe and amazement, in that one little second, you begin to get a feel for how big one tiny little aspect of creation is. You don't begin to get a feel for how big God is, right? You begin to be awed by what he has created with just one of the infinite miracles that are going on every day around us. And at that moment, what you must do is you must turn in worship to God, not to creation. God did not create the world in a way that leaves him unknowable. In spite of the fact that we can never begin to comprehend his transcendence, because that's basically the definition of transcendence, you're not going to comprehend it. He did create the world and give us these little glimpses into transcendence. And everybody has experienced these things. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1.20, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse if we don't worship him. All of those things that we just thought of, you think of the sunset, you think of the rainbow, you think of the galaxies, you think of the number 52 factorial, you think of the cells, you think of DNA, you think of any one of these things, and every last one of them declares God's glory, declares his invisible attributes, declares you must worship. You must worship God. He must be worshipped. There's no other response 
that is appropriate than to fall down in amazement, in worship of him, at what he has done, at what he has made. And so everything in the earth points to his glory. Everything in all of creation points out his glory. But we don't need to try to count the stars or to try to understand a billion years and all that to understand how overwhelming what he has done is. All it takes is seeing a newborn baby. And that's where, that's where David goes. He, said, he goes straight from God's splendor being above the heavens to from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Because of your adversaries. To make the enemy and the revengeful cease. So why does God make babies? To establish what? Establish strength out of their mouths. What can a baby say? Nothing. All baby can do is cry. And David says that is strong enough to obliterate all objections from man. That is enough to silence God's enemies. That is enough to make the revengeful cease. You say, well, it doesn't, though. God still has enemies. They haven't been obliterated by little babies. And I say, but they have been. All that they are, all that they stand for, all of their enmity is laughable when you simply look at a baby. If, if all you do is just open your eyes enough to actually begin to comprehend a newborn baby, any idea of opposing God, it's absurd. The cry of a baby obliterates the claims of God's enemies. That noise, you just heard it. It is strong enough to show us what? That God's enemies have nothing. They have nothing. There's a reason that people get angry at Christians for bringing their children to abortion clinics to protest. It's because it's an unfair fight. You've heard of showing up at a knife fight with a gun. You've heard of showing up at a gun fight with a knife. But this is like showing up at a knife fight with the sun. 
It doesn't even make sense. That's what I mean. The, the baby. The baby is the unfair advantage. Because it's not about arguments. It's not about words. It's, it's not about what you can say. The cry of a baby is enough to establish that God is holy and that he made man, that he made the universe and that he is to be honored and that he is to be obeyed. Just holding a baby is enough to show the whole world that God is the one who gives life. You think about holding a baby that has a heart defect. And and it tugs at your, your heart to think of, right? And you think of how many babies that have been born perfectly healthy. Why? Because we deserve that? No, because God glorifies himself in creation. And you think of you think of the miracle of life. And it's overwhelming. Life demands, the life of a baby demands that we protect life, doesn't it? The life of a baby demands that we seek health, that we seek its well-being. The life of a baby shows to everybody that God is holy. And it's not because babies are cute. You understand? It, it's, not, it's not unfair because, oh, you know, that's just... You're being cynical by using, using a child that way. To try to tug at people's hearts to make them think a certain way. You, and listen, I've thought that way. That that's why it's unfair. But that's not why the fight is unfair. How do you know? Well, have you ever seen... Have you ever seen people who are pro-death at an abortion clinic with children there? Have you ever seen that? It just doesn't happen, does it? Why? Because they're they're not cynical? Because they're only willing to fight fair and use reason? No, that's not why. The reason that they don't is because if if you do ever see it, you realize that it's completely counterproductive for them. Because if a pro-life person shows up with a baby, it screams, life is good. God is to be worshipped. 
Man is made in his image. And if a pro-death person shows up with a baby, it screams, life is good. God is to be worshipped. Man is made in his image. Just by living, breathing, nursing. That's how amazing God's creation is. You don't need to understand 52 factorial. You don't need to understand how many galaxies there are, how many stars are in each one. You just look at the baby and you know. And that's before the children can talk. And where we always use that is, you know, from the mouths of babes is with things that they've said that are true. But David's talking about before they can even talk. Then they start talking. And what happens? Well, we teach them to say true and wonderful and amazing things that they can't possibly comprehend. You think, what's the point of teaching them to say, memorize all these things and say all of these things? They can't understand them anyway. And I say, well, can you understand them? Matthew 21, 16, the Pharisees said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never heard? Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? That's this passage. Right? That's our psalm, Psalm 8. And Jesus is saying, yeah, these kids that are running around screaming at the top of their lungs, going wild in praise of me, yeah, I know they don't understand it. Yeah, this is the way God made the universe. It's done on purpose. There's no silencing it. There's no preventing it. You can't shut it up. All of creation declares the glory of God. Don't be embarrassed to have your children declare the truth of things they can't understand. You really can't understand it either. And David couldn't understand it either. He says, why would God make man so important in this creation when there are so many stars and they're so big? When there are so many planets around so many of those stars? When there are so many things that dwarf us and make our actions seem so meaningless? Because in the grand scheme of this universe... What does it matter to the universe what you do or what you don't do? It makes you feel incredibly small when you realize that the most amazing actions that you could possibly perform 
don't even extend up into the atmosphere of this one world around this one star, right? Or if you're Elon Musk, you send, you, you, you get just a little bit further and you, you manage to send an electric car to Mars. Well done. Because now you've really done something in this universe, right? What, is, what do our actions mean? What do they accomplish? Nothing. Not when you compare who we are. Not when you compare our strength to creation. You think about how smart we think we are, and you think then about ants building a nest and storing food, and it's just like, you know, there's a reason that Proverbs tells us to learn from the ant, because the ant has more wisdom than we do. Think about how strong we are, and then you watch an elephant crashing through the forest, knocking trees over, and it's like, we're pretty small, aren't we? And an elephant is small compared to some of the things that have been around. You think of the nature of man, you can't help but think about God making the earth, animals, water, light, trees. All of these things, they give pleasure to man. Or covering, or food and warmth. God gave us all of these things. He gave us all of these things. Why? Well, we're so small and insignificant that even if we forgot that he made us, we still can't say that there's anything about us that deserves to receive these good gifts. And then you remember, oh, and also he made you. Well, I don't have any idea why he gave us all of these good things then. What is man that you take thought of him, David says to God. And then we have all of these things even after the fall, even after we've sinned. So forget just how puny we are and how small and insignificant in the creation and, and then think about how he made all of these good things for us and then think, and then we sinned and yet he has continued to pour out rain on the just and the unjust, to give food and shelter and clothing. And then God made woman. Proverbs 30, 18 and 19 says, There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Four, which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. This guy's going, 
Any one of those is, is too much for me to even begin to comprehend. And so, <clears throat> here we are. God made the universe. He made it astoundingly big. He made us small, puny, insignificant, and then he said, you're in my image. And suddenly, we're significant. Just a little lower than God himself. In spite of our inability to understand all of these Miracles. And the world's response is to worship creation and to deny the creator. And the moment that you begin to worship creation, you're insane and you're fighting against babies. And they're going to win. And it doesn't matter how many of them the world kills. God will, he will pay back their blood. He will bring vengeance on his enemies. And his creation will go forward the way that he has commanded it to go forward. When we begin to worship creation, we go insane. We start denying the difference between man and woman. We start denying all sorts of things that are just that foundational to creation. We start saying that babies are bad. We start saying the most absurd things when we start worshiping creation. And yet God has made it so that his will continues. Jesus is king in this world. When we begin to worship creation, what happens to man is that man becomes nothing. And you'll see this as people talk about trying to come to grips with the size of the universe. Those who take that and say, well, there can't possibly be a God... realize that we're just sort of a hopeless speck in the universe. means that it is just as likely that we're simply processes in a computer simulation as anything important. And then sending a car to Mars makes complete sense because everything is meaningless. then sending people to Mars becomes important. Because it's the first step to something. Trying to make us more important. Then finding the many other intelligent beings that must be out there becomes very important. What happens is you lower man 
so that you can worship nature. And you have to lower man to worship nature. Because man has God's image. And so you can't, you can't worship nature. You can't worship creation without trying to get away from that. Trying to hide God's image. And so you end up giving to nature. You end up giving all of the attributes of God to nature. That nature becomes creative. That nature has amazing designs. That, that Mother Earth's intelligence somehow causes everything to stay in balance and keep working. Communication. And, and, so, and so if you read people who deny that there is a God, they're always looking to prove that man is nothing special. They're always looking to say, oh, well, you know, the animals have consciousness just like man. How can you prove to me that there's anything special about man? And I say, look at the baby. You see the baby? There's your proof. And you win. Worshiping creation is absurd. Worship the God who made it. And when you worship God, then that raises man up to a little lower than God. It raises man up to the place of power, authority, importance. Well, how convenient. Actually, it's a little bit inconvenient because it means that we have a lot of responsibility. Why have we been given power? Why have we been put over all of creation? God's plan. God's desire to glorify himself. And that's why the moment that you the moment that you realize how little you are and that God made you, you can't help but praise him. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. As a matter of fact, you're you're more valuable than many galaxies. You're more valuable than many planets. Forget sparrows. Not one star burns out or explodes or turns imploding. and Not one black hole forms without God knowing and numbering. And he's made us. And so we see in little babies 
from the mouths of children. How majestic God is. Let's worship him in prayer.